Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The theme for our year here at Bible Baptist Church is to grow, grow up into Him, Him being Christ. And we've been taking that phrase, grow up into Him in all things, and now we're ty- trying to take some of those uh, that phrase and look at some of the passages in the Bible uh, that contain that phrase and show us some areas that we need to grow in. Because if we are going to be growing Christians, we need to grow in all things. Amen? Every area should at least have some measure of growth. We should desire growth. We should seek growth. And this morning, we're going to take a look at growing in contentment. Because discontentment is a big problem. Now, I know discontentment is not a new problem. It's been around since Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, they were here. God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. God created Eve out of the rib of Adam, and there they were in the Garden of Eden. Now, if you were to think of anybody that could and should be content, it would be Adam and Eve, right? Didn't have any, you know, uh, uh, siblings, didn't have anybody uh, else around to be compared to. There was no other thing, and and God had rules for them to do anything. They could have anything. They could eat anything except for the fruit of one tree. They could have it all. They did have it all, right? Anything in the Garden of Eden, you see it, you can have it. Just this one tree over here, just don't eat of that one. You would think they'd be able to live content, amen? And yet, what did Satan do? He tempted Eve with discontentment. God's holding back from you. You could have more. You could have more, Eve. You already have everything. You just don't have this one tree. Why do you even need that? Why do you even want that? Discontentment's been around as long as Adam and Eve. That's the book of Genesis. The book of Exodus has the Ten Commandments. Right? We know about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. At the very end is what? Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. Thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, or his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now I'm aware that discontentment is not new, but certainly we have a lot of temptations to be discontent. Because we have so much access to information, right? We have the internet, right? You have the internet. You can see what's going on in the world. You get to see what your friends are doing. You get to see what everybody's able to do and experiencing and and all of that. Because when we see so much, there is temptation to be discontent over much. In the book of Joshua, there was a man by the name of Achan. He was a child of Israel. The children of Israel, they're going into the promised land. They had just crossed the Jordan River. And now they're looking at Jericho, the first city, a huge city. A city that was set apart for God. God said, I'm going to give you victory. You just march around the city one time each day for six days. You keep silent while you do so. 
Then you go back to the camp. Every day you do that for six days. On the seventh day, you do it seven times. On the last time, you shout, and the walls will fall down. And the walls did fall down, and they went in, and they had a great victory, and God had made a very clear rule. This first city is mine. I get the first city. Every other city you get to have, but everything that's in the city, all the spoils of war, come to me. And everybody did so, except for Achan. Achan, he took a few things. And there was sin in the camp. And they lost victory. And Joshua went to God and said, God, what's wrong? How come we can't have victory? And God said, why are you crying to me? There's sin in the camp. Get rid of the sin. And so they went investigating. They found Achan, and they confronted Achan. And here's what Achan said. He said this. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them and behold, they are in the earth, in the midst of the tent, and the silver under it. Achan heard the rule, and he said, okay, I'll do the rule, and then he saw it. He said, oh, that looks pretty good. Oh, look, there's just silver right there. There's gold right there. Hey, nobody's going to miss it. It's a huge city. There's a big spoils. I'll just take a little bit. Achan was discontent. And if we are going to grow, we must grow in contentment. And let me propose to you this. Contentedness depends less on your possessions and more on your perspective. Contentedness depends less on your possessions and more on your perspective. The Bible puts it this way. Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 20. Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never full satisfied. Oh, it might be tempting to think, you know what, if I could just get the house of my dreams, if I could just buy that car, if I could just have these clothes, if I could just reach this stage in my career, if I could just reach this stage in my family life, if I, if I could just have whatever it is that is out there that's on your dream list, if I could just get there, then I will be satisfied. God says, no, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Contentedness depends more on your attitude than on your assets. And it depends less on what you hold in your hand and more on what you have in your heart. Contentedness comes when you take your eyes off of what you have or really what you don't have and you put it on who is with you. We need to ask a very important question. Christian, who do you have with you? Who do you have with you? Because contentedness depends on who you have with you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. So God is telling the people, don't be covetous, be content. Well, how can we be content? He gives us a few words. Why should we be content? Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Contentedness depends on who you have with you. 
Because Christian, no matter how many possessions or how little you have, when you have God, you have everything. That's very important for us as Christians to realize that no matter how many things you have in your hand right now, if you have God, you have everything because God has everything. Just taking a look at some of the verses in Philippians chapter 4. When you have God, you have God's provision. Verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. When you have God, you have his power. Verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. When you have God, you have his promise. Verse number 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Contentment comes when I am satisfied with who I have. Do you have the Lord today? If you're here today and you're not saved, that's step number one. You need to be saved. Contentment comes when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know what God did for you. He loved you. And he sent his son to die on the cross. And he was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the grave. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus will come again to rapture those that are saved, to be with him forever. And he is preparing a mansion for you. You have a home in heaven if you are saved. Now we do understand that there's nothing wrong with having more. Amen? All right? There's a big distinction here. There's nothing wrong with having more. But discontentment is a big problem. And here's why. When we are discontent, we focus on the wrong things. And when you are content, you focus on the right things. When you live in discontent, you look at the wrong things, you focus on the wrong things, you emphasize the wrong things. But when you're content, you're able to focus in on the right things, the important things. The things that you should be looking at. In Numbers chapter 11, there's a passage where the children of Israel, they're in the wilderness. They left the Red Sea. God had delivered them. We remember the ten plagues. They crossed the Red Sea. God split the Red Sea. They crossed through on dry ground. And then he closed up the Red Sea on the armies of the Egyptians. And they passed through. And now they're, they're going through the wilderness for 40 years. And, and verse number 4 says this, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusty. They weren't content. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. You just imagine this fish dish with the onions and the garlic. And the leeks, all of this mixed together. That's what they have in their mind. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all out beside this manna before our eyes. Now I understand the wilderness is not a great place to live. There's a reason why people don't live in the wilderness, amen? They are going through the wilderness year after year after year. I understand that it's possible for people to get bored of the same food if you eat the exact same food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, day after day after day after day, year after year, decade after decade. Can you imagine 30 years? What are we eating for breakfast? You know what we're eating for breakfast. 
right? There's no questions there. What are you talking about? It's the same thing. We have it yesterday. We have it every day for 30 years. Right? I understand that, even if it is angel's food. But, but was Egypt really the paradise that they're looking at it as? Was Egypt really this vacation dreamland? Oh, we remember. Oh, remember that buffet that we had in Egypt? Oh, it was so great. We got to eat of it freely. That's a very interesting word that they use for people who used to be in bondage and slaves. We could eat of it freely. Hold on a second. Do you remember Egypt really? Now, we look back at them maybe and say, how could they possibly view Egypt that way? That's ridiculous. Egypt was slavery. Egypt was bondage. Egypt was restriction. Egypt was oppression. Egypt was a terrible place. Why could you even look at it that way? You know why? Because they were discontent with what they had. Discontentment deceived them. And it caused them to look back on Egypt and say, oh, look, Egypt is so great. Egypt was wonderful. Oh, I wish we were in Egypt today. We could have that fish. We could have the melons. We could have the leeks and the onions. We could have all of that. How is it possible that they could look back on a terrible time with such fondness? It's because they were discontent. Are you focusing on the right things today? Are you content today? Are you content with where you are, with what you have? Now, I, I, I'm not saying that we can't grow. I mean, the, the series is grow. <laughs> grow up into him. But are you a content person today? Well, let's see what a content person focuses on in this passage. First of all, we see that contentedness, or a content person, focuses on the Savior and not your situation. Contentedness focuses on the Savior and not your situation. Now, Paul was in some rough situations, amen? I mean, Paul went through it. In Philippi, he was beaten. He was thrown into the inner prison. I mean, not exactly great treatment. Then he had to leave. From there, he went to Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, he preached the word. People were getting saved. People didn't like that, so they raised up a crew, and they got together, and they were persecuting them to the point where they had to leave, and they went to the next city over, Berea. Berea, he went over there, and he said, oh, these Christians, they are, these Jewish people, they're noble because they received the word with all readiness of mind, but they searched the scriptures whether those things were so. So he was giving them the word, and people were getting saved there, and then word spread, and it got back to Thessalonica. Hey, there are some, there are some people here. And everyone's like, oh, what are their names? Oh, it's Paul. Oh, Paul is there. Oh, he was just here. And they dropped everything that they were doing. And they went to Berea to find Paul and persecute them. And, and they had to leave. He went through some rough times. He had some rough situations. But through it all, he focused on the Savior rather than on his situation. Can I ask you to stop and consider your situation? Where are you at today? Where are you at in life? Where are you at in your career? Where are you at in your family situation? Where are you at in, in ministry, in your Christian life? All of these different things. And it's easy to pick out and point out flaws in the situation, 
But can I encourage you to do this? Contentedness focuses on the Savior and not your situation. Paul was able to focus in on the Savior. Verse number 10, he was able to praise the Lord. But I rejoiced in the money that you gave. Is that what he said? I rejoice that finally I could eat a nice meal, me and my ministry members together. Is that what he said? No. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord. Contented people focus on the Savior. They're also able to focus on the Savior and praise him for progressing in the Lord. Verse number 11 says something very interesting. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Did you notice those words in the middle? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Do you know what that means? There was a time when Paul was not content. Amen? There was a time when he was not content, and he would go to the Lord and say, oh, if it were only like this, oh, I wish it were better in this way, and all of these things. And, and God says, i got to teach you some things. i got to teach you a little bit about contentment. And Paul, going through ministry, learned some things. He says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. He says, I know what it means to be on the, on the good side of life, if you will, and, and the tough times of life. I know both ends, the rich and the poor, everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he also gained some perspective from the Lord. When you focus on the Savior, you can look away from that supply of money and focus on the strength of the master. That's what he says in verse number 13. I can do all things. There are no limitations on the ministry that God has called me to. I can do all things if I do it through Christ. If you focus on your situation, you will always be limited by your situation. But if you focus on you will never be limited because God is omnipotent. God knows all things. God is everywhere. A contented people focus on the Savior and not your situation. It reminds me of an incident that happened with the disciples and Jesus. The disciples had gone through a very busy time in ministry. In fact, it had gotten to the point where Jesus said, we need to get apart. We need to separate ourselves. We need to get some rest. And, and as they were leaving, the multitude and he had compassion on them. He saw their situation, he saw their state. All my disciples have this need, but I, I have to do something for these people. And so he went and ministered to the people to the point where they, they were gathered around thousands of them, 5,000 men, plus the women and children. There were thousands of people that were there. And it's getting towards the evening time. And Jesus says, These people, they haven't had anything to eat yet. Hey, let's get them some food, feed them. The disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? How are we supposed to feed this many thousands of people? Jesus asked the question knowing what he would do. And we have the feeding of the 5,000. There's a few other things. And then, and then Jesus sends his disciples away on a boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And so they go away. Jesus goes up to a mountain. He's there by himself. He's praying. It's the evening time. He's praying. He's praying through the night. The disciples are trying to get to the other side when a storm comes through. The storm comes through, and now these exhausted, tired disciples are fighting for their lives to try to stay afloat. Jesus is still there on the mountain, but he sees the disciples. And it says in the fourth watch of the night, we're, we're, towards, we're towards dawn now. Jesus goes over there, and he, and he begins to walk on the sea. He's walking on the sea, and he's getting close to the disciples. The disciples are scared. Look, there's somebody walking on the water. It's a ghost. Well, Jesus says, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Peter has a very interesting response. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. I don't know what inspired Peter to say that, but he said it. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to get out onto the water. And Jesus says, come. And he gets out, and Peter walks on the water. But then it says this. But when he saw the wind boisterous. He was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Isn't that sometimes how we can feel with discontentment? Hey, when we're content, we can focus in on the Savior. There's a lot of things going on in the situation around us, but when we focus on the Savior, we can walk on water. Amen? Secondly, what I see is contentedness focuses on the service and not your slights. Verse number 14 says this. Notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. There's that phrase there. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. No church partnered with me in the fellowship concerning giving and receiving. Now, Paul had four missionary journeys. He's writing to the church of Philippi. On the first missionary journey, he stayed kind of close by. He went to the island of Cyprus. He went to some cities, Perga, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. He started in modern-day Syria, and he kind of went to Cyprus, and then he went to modern-day Turkey, and he kind of went around, kind of a shorter circle. On the second missionary journey, he said to Barnabas, Barnabas, remember those churches that we started and we saw people saying, let's go back there and see how they're doing. Let's try to help them. And Barnabas says, great, let's go. And he says, but I want to take Mark with me. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 we're not taking that guy. That guy left us last time. He deserted us. I'm not taking him. He's not coming with us. And it became so big of a tension that they split. Paul took Silas and went one way. Barnabas took Mark, and he went another way. Well, Paul and Silas, they go on the second missionary journey. They go back to some of these churches, and now they're heading farther west in the direction of Greece. They're still in Turkey. 
modern-day Turkey, but they're going towards Greece, and they're praying about where to go, and the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go this way, don't go that way. He has a dream of the man of Macedonia, right? And he says, he's calling him, come over here, we need your help. And so he says, all right, that's where we're going. Well, Macedonia is the kind of the northern part of modern Greece, and so he goes over there. And he goes to Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica, and then he goes to Berea. Now he's writing after he has left Macedonia, and he's writing back to the churches there. And did you notice what he said? No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. There were at least three churches there. Only one of them supported him. Only one of them gave anything. Now, Paul had gone through great persecution to reach those people with the gospel. Amen? He sacrificed his life going there so that they could hear the word of God that Jesus saves. And they got saved. Praise the Lord for that. Many people got saved. They trusted Christ. They formed churches together. They bonded they joined in unity, and they were desiring to grow and all these things. And, and Paul has now left the area due to the heavy persecution. He went south, he went to Athens, then he went to Corinth. And now he's riding back to the church at Philippi, and he says, you know, out of these cities, you guys were the only ones. The church at Thessalonica didn't support him. The church at Berea, they didn't support him. Now, should they have supported him? Should they have supported him? Of course they should have. I went for a lot or a little. I don't know what, was they, what they were able to do or what, what God was moving in their heart to do, but they should have done something. But they did nothing. Now, if you're going to take a look at contentment, it's easy to look at the slides. Oh, well, I can't do ministry because, well, look at the church of Berea. Look at the church at Thessalonica. I need help here. I sacrificed my life in order to go there to preach the gospel so that they could be saved. The least that they could do is support me in the ministry. Amen? Isn't that a reasonable thought? We would think that that would be reasonable. But you know, contentedness focuses on the mission of service and not on the slides that are given to you. Now, we're not talking about ignoring things that should be done. Right? We're not talking about, okay, Paul is not going to talk about giving anymore because they never gave. Well, Paul makes it very clear that he would go to churches, and if they were not doing what was right, he would let them know. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Is the church at Corinth? You guys are not doing what you need to do. You need to collect the offering, the finances, and support the ministries. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in sore as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. I'm going to come. I'm going to collect the offering. Make sure it's ready for me. Otherwise, it's going to be a very uncomfortable service. <laughs> I'm going to preach about giving and giving and giving. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. Now, we're not going to ignore what the Bible makes clear what we should do. But I do want to make it clear that Paul's contentedness did not depend 
on whether they did their job or not. Paul's contentedness did not depend on whether the Thessalonican church gave or not. It did not depend on whether the Berean church gave or not. It didn't even depend on whether the Philippian church gave or not. He was content where he was. Now, he was glad when they did give. He, he rejoiced. He was happy. But he was content either way. And instead of focusing on the slights against him, he focused on the mission. He focused on his job. He focused on his service. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 7. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We all are servants. As human beings, we're all in the form of a servant. We're servants. So we need to focus in on our service. Now, Paul was really in desperate need financially. I mean, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's, he's writing from Rome. He writes a few things, things that I probably wouldn't write. But he says in verse number th 13, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. He says, it's cold in Rome, in the prison. I'm cold. I need something. You know what? I had a cloak that I gave to Carpus when we were at Troas. Go find Carpus and bring me back my cloak. <laughs> he says, I need it. I don't have one. I, I, I don't have, like, a jacket, basically. I don't have anything to keep me warm. Bring it with you. And the books. But especially the parchments, the paper. Bring me the paper. I need the paper. I mean, we're dealing with very basic things, right? And Paul is saying, I don't have any of these things. I need them. But his focus stayed on the mission, on his service, and not the slights of others against him. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it could mean a lot of things. You know, the Bible talks about husbands and wives. Amen? Amen, husbands and wives? The Bible talks about husbands and wives. There are things a husband should do. Amen? Amen, husbands? There are things that we should do. And we know we should do them because they are written in the Bible. There is no arguing with that. Amen? It's in the Bible. You can't say, well, that's not my job. Well, God said it was, so it's your job. Same with the wives. Amen, wives? <laughs> right? That You have a job to do as well. Now it's very clear what the husband is supposed to do, what the wife is supposed to do. Now it's easy for the husband to look at the wife and say, why are all the things you're not doing? And it's easy for the wife to look at the husband and say, these are all the things that you're not doing. Discontentedness will focus on, this is what you're supposed to do, instead of focusing on what I'm supposed to do. All right, discontentedness will mean, oh, that person over there that I married, that person's not doing what they're supposed to do. But contentedness says, you know what, I have a job that I need to do. To the best of my ability, I need to do my job. Here in a church, you can get discontent. Well, this person's not doing their ministry the way that 
should be doing, and, and I wish the preaching was a little bit better, and, and if, if, if some people would give a little bit more, then we'd be able to do this, and if somebody would just commit to helping me in this ministry, then, then all of these things, and, and I understand that everyone has, has a responsibility to service, but discontentedness focuses on what everybody else is doing or not doing. Contentedness focuses on, well, what am I supposed to do? Contentedness focuses on the right thing. Discontent focuses on the wrong thing. Now, praise the Lord, everybody can grow. Amen? Everybody can grow. I praise the Lord for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. We just talked about these churches. Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Before it was just Philippi, now it's the churches of Macedonia. You know what that means? It means Thessalonica stepped up. It means Berea, they stepped up. Now all the churches of Macedonia, now they're stepping up together. And praise the Lord for that. Thirdly, and lastly, what we see is that contentedness focuses on the saints and not yourself. Contentedness focuses on the saints and not yourself. Meaning this, you begin to focus on the other person's needs and how you can help them. Instead of thinking about how everybody needs to help me, we begin to think, how can I help others? We begin to focus on their success, verse 17, not because I desire to give. Paul had told the churches, you need to give. He said, you need to give, you need to support my ministry you need to help me so that I can preach the gospel so that other people could get saved. But he says, not because I wanted something from you, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. God was, uh, Paul was telling them that they needed to give, not because I really have a need. I know that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I know that God will take care of me. I know that God will take care of my provision, but I want you to have some success. I want you to have some abundance in your account. Every Christian has an account. That's why the Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Paul is saying, I asked you to give, not because I really needed it. I knew that God could make it work no matter what I had. But I wanted you to have some fruit in your account. He also wanted to consider their standing and their relationship with God. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the thing which was sent from you. He says, thank you for giving. I have everything that I need, but thank you for giving. I'm really full now. I'm abounding now. But he says, the things that you gave me, they're an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. It was not about what you can do to please me. It was about what you could do to please God. And lastly, it was about their supply. Paul was not focused on his supply. He was focused on their supply. He said, but my God shall supply all your needs. He said, you did well to give, but I want you to know, hey, God's going to take care of you. Hey, don't worry about it. God will help you. 
God will provide for all of the needs that you have, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When we are discontent, we focus on our needs. But when we are content, we can focus on the needs of others. Content people focus on the right things. Discontent people focus on the wrong things. What do you focus on today?